Good morning. Just conversing with my daughter there. Welcome everyone, it's good to see you. And uh, we've done a bit of swapping this week, haven't we? A number of our folks are away. But it's good to welcome Eva from Liverpool. Friend of Marina, welcome to you. She's a liver beard. Is that right? Yawa, yawa, liver beard. She doesn't talk like that at all. Also, Dennis and Penny from Nottingham. Friends of Alan and Jill from a long time ago. Uh, so welcome to you today. Give them a welcome there. Hey, everybody. So, and can I just ask, how's the Asda token thing going? We're winning. We're winning. Now, I, want, I, th- I, I thought that was the case, and I want you to know we're winning, not so you can say, I won't bother then, because we're winning. I want you to be spurred on that we're in the lead. <laughs> Keep going, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. All right. I want to talk to you this morning about miracles for a new generation. How's that? Miracles for a new generation. I'm naive to believe that this Christianity thing, this faith that we have in Jesus, that this walk that we're called to is actually something that's meant to be supernatural in its character, in its nature. You know, either that or it's just a religious kind of thing. I, I couldn't bear to get up in the morning on a Sunday and go to a building and just go through a load of stuff that doesn't touch my heart. You know? And that's not a veiled criticism of anywhere because I believe all sorts of churches have all sorts of styles of meeting and people meet God there and that's fine. Some people would come here and think we're absolutely bonkers and I'm not darkening the door of that place again. (laughs) Hey, she's, she's not here today but when Susan first came here, I remember standing about there, and it was her first meeting. She said, I'll come to one of your services. And as she was walking out, she kind of looked kind of like the rabbit in the headlights, as if somebody had just gone up and slapped her with a fish, you know. And she was, I said, Susan, it's lovely to see you this morning. I'm glad you came along. Did you enjoy it? And she said with a sort of almost out of breath, it's very uplifting, she said, but I don't know if I could manage this every week. <laughs> Well, manage it every week. She does. God's touched her life and she has come to know Jesus in a real and a powerful way. Isn't that great? So God is moving in people's lives. And, um, and it's real. I want to read to you from uh, Joshua chapter 3. And this, this is the account of when, after Moses had died, Joshua had taken over. And he was the leader now of Israel and it wasn't his job to walk around the desert anymore it was his job to lead the people this new generation into a new walk and a miraculous existence in God's promised land so Joshua um, in uh, Joshua chapter 3 and it says this early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. And he said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, 
You are to move out from your positions and follow it. And do you know what, just as an aside this morning, there are people who've got all sorts of positions that they're stuck in. Do you know something? We need to look and see where God's going so that we move out of our positions and don't let the positions that we've always stuck to define our lives. We need to follow the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do and where he wants to go. That's not what I'm speaking about this morning, but I thought I'd just say that because it's jolly important. He says, move out from your positions and follow it. He says, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Renew your hearts, consecrate yourself, sort your life out, because God wants to do stuff in and through you. Yeah? Be ready. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Which bit of that's a good idea? Seriously. Go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, Stalagnites and Stalagmites. No, not those. (laughs) Too many ites there. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. The Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. That makes it even worse idea. Couldn't have been easy, could it? It's in flood stage. Go and stand in it. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and set their, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up at a great, in a great heap, a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the, of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry land. Amen. What a day that was. This new generation experienced some miracles. Last time I spoke, it was about Moses. Uh, do you remember the people of Israel were in the desert, they got the manna and they wanted meat and they started moaning about meat and they wanted and, and Moses said, Lord, if I killed all the flocks, if we did everything, if we killed everything in sight, there wouldn't be enough meat to feed this lot. And God said to him, is the Lord's arm too short? You'll see and it will happen. And I spoke last about the dangers really of trusting a God who in our perception has got short arms. Because a short-armed God can't reach out and sort things out that are bigger than we are, but a God with an arm as long as he's got can be trusted. 
He has the resources. Even when they were in the wilderness, it's amazing, you know, for those 40 years, that generation saw miracles. It says their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out. Now, for fashion-conscious people, that's a nightmare. But actually, if there's no shops in the desert, it's pretty good. Uh, the food came every day. You think Ocado.com is new. I'll tell you what, they had it then, deliveries, every day. And this whole nation were miraculously catered for, provided, protected, and everything, and led by this great pillar of fire and a great pillar of smoke. They were led and they knew where to go because they followed the pillar. They experienced that. And yet they were walking because of disobedience. They missed out on moving into the promised land 40 years earlier because they didn't realize how long God's arm really was. But this was a new day. What I've just read to you was a new day. It was a new generation who finally claimed God's promise. You see, before his death, Moses kind of spoke to the people and revised, went back on some of the stuff that had happened. And he said, look, I'm going to die. You're going to go ahead. And it's this. It's what he said. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived in this place. And to this new generation, Moses said, it was not your children, or to the older generation, it wasn't your children who did that, who saw that. And that really challenged me. Because whatever that older generation experienced, the children didn't see it. Are you with me? They had been through miraculous things. Moses parted the sea. Led them through the desert. The plagues of Egypt. All that stuff. And yet this new generation had heard about it, but they didn't actually see it. Now it's my contention that it's not enough to hear about things. We need to see it for ourselves, experience it for ourselves, because the God of today is the same as the God of yesterday. But it's good to remember the past. We're told in Psalm 103, do not forget all his benefits. We mustn't be forgetful for what God has done for us. Because if we forget, right, if we forget, we stop being thankful. And if we stop being thankful, at best we become apathetic and kind of lethargic. And at worst, we eventually become bitter. We forget what God has done for us and we don't like what's happening to us now. When we stop being thankful, we can become bitter in our hearts and actually kind of move away a bit from God in our relationship. It happens. Um, but it's good to remember the past. You see, we all have a past, don't we? It was just now and further back. We have a past and every church has a past. Every church has a history. And I cannot believe it, but in October we will be eight years old. Oh, dear me. Three years, we got to secondary school. It's crazy. Doing, you know, eight years old. And it's important to be thankful for what has happened 
to look back on some of the stuff that has happened, how God spoke to us about the first three years of our church. In the first year, you'll eat what springs up on its own. In the second year, what comes from that? But in the third year, you know, you've got to harvest and, and God's going to provide for you. And do you know what? That word in Isaiah was mirrored in the experience of our church. That did us an awful lot of good out of faith. And it wasn't just one person. Several people had that verse. But that's a memory. It's a good memory. And it's something changed. And not everything that's happened in the last 70 years is negative. But he spoke about things that have changed and things that we've lost. And I'm just not going to make a big argument out of this, but I can see where he's coming from, okay? In the uh, the 50s, we lost, people lost innocence. There was the rock and roll and stuff and people, it changed. In the uh, 60s, people got a bit rebellious, lost authority, maybe. Different attitudes come. In the 70s, uh, they lost love because sex ceased to be a a moral issue. In the 80s, values got mixed up even more. I don't have a general thing. Powerfully, we can touch this generation for Jesus. You see, what we do now, or should I say what we did 20 years ago, won't necessarily work now. I never had a mobile phone 20 years ago. Oh, dear. Do you remember those, those cool pictures of these yuppie types who picked up a breeze block and put it to their ear? <laughs> Hi, everybody, I've got a mobile phone. Oh, yeah, 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 buy, buy, buy them, yes, and, then, and sell those, yes, and I'll be in the office later, yeah, okay. Oh. Such was a mobile phone in those days. You need a block and tackle to pick it up and a little trolley to carry it around. And now we've all got one. We've all got one. We've all got a camera. We've all got a torch. We've all got a computer. We've all got everything. And there's more power in this little thing than the computer power that put the man on the moon in 1969, apparently. It's crazy. What a different world we live in. See? So, So, you know, what do we do? We do Facebook now. Facebook. I don't know what Facebook is. It's something that people read and find out things from. I leave that to Astrid. I have a clue. I'm not even on Facebook. I tried it once and didn't know what I was doing, so I just got rid of it. I thought, what is all this? You see, I used to do things in youth differently to what they do now. Now young people smile at me quite as if I'm quaint. Hey, Catherine. <laughs> all right? Poof. Look at see. See, I'm still, I'm still cool. I'm still cool. <laughs> see, see jokingly, jokingly I said to one bloke once oh, I know how to get on down with the kids <laughs> and he said that's just proof why you shouldn't try <laughs> it's different we live in a different world but there are some things like who God is who Jesus is what salvation's about what he wants to do in our lives that don't change in, in 1 John, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and seen. It, it goes on to say, we declare that to you. We've seen it. We've had it. The old nation of Israel saw miracles, but they needed miracles for a new generation because they were the generation that were going to go in and, and get the promise that God, that God was giving them. The work of Moses was over. He couldn't take, them into the na- couldn't take the nation any further. Israel had been prevented from entering the land. 
Do you remember they sent the spies in and the ten came out and gave a bad report, spoke about it last time, and that infection of fear touched the whole nation. And to protect them, I really believe to protect them, God says, you can't go in because you're in a right mess. You can't even trust me to go in. How are you going to survive in this state of faithlessness when you face the enemies and the giants that you're so worried about? So for 40 years, they walked around the desert. And Moses amazingly led them. He led them. And they saw these miracles. Joshua was the leader who took over from Moses, a leader of a new generation with a very challenging position following Moses. You imagine getting into Moses' shoes. You imagine, I'm, right, Moses has gone, I'm in charge. Give me a break. Who are you? I tell you who he was, he was God's man for that moment. And this reading about them crossing the Jordan I guess was the biggest the first real big challenge that he had because he couldn't lead them in until he got them in he couldn't fight the battles until he got there to fight the battles with so he remembered the old and Moses he was actually Moses's first lieutenant really or whatever he was his his right hand man and there were two people that did go into the promised land and it was Joshua and Caleb And they were two men of faith, the two good spies. And they remembered, and they knew. But then they embraced the new. They not only remembered the past, and we all thank God for the past, because the past is what got us here. But the new is what's going to get us there. If we keep doing what we've already done to get us here, then if we keep doing that, we'll just stay here. But if we do what God says next, then we'll get to where he wants us to go next. Does that make sense? So we embrace the new. By finding the presence and experience of God for themselves, this new generation could then go into the land. You see, this Joshua generation had heard what had happened to the Red Sea, or whatever sea it was. They heard about the miracles in the desert. They heard about the deliverance from Egypt. They'd heard about all that, but were now confronted with their very own challenge that involved going through an impossible... we're not Ian Green but we are who we are and he wants us to know that faith walk for ourselves now if we try and live on the experience of others we I tell you what we are we're spectators who really should be participants who like who enjoys watching films yeah of course you do only Christian ones of course (laughs) I enjoy watching films the trouble is I'm sitting on a settee next to my wife and we're watching a film and when there's some kind of fight scene or something, I'm there with it. <laughs> Sit still, she says. I get into it. I get into it. I'm not really fighting. I'm not really James Bond. I has a past resemblance. But I'm not really James Bond. But I get into that film and I watch it. And then when it's over, I just carry on. Turn it off and away. I just live my life again. The problem is this, the problem is this, that if we are just spectators of other people's faith and the miraculous walk that they've had, then we just switch off and carry on like we did before. We're not watching a film, this is about life. This is about our way we walk, the way the the future is going to open up for us and we need to embrace the new. You know, sometimes we describe ourselves as a contemporary church. I don't think that's good enough. I think it's good to be relevant. 
But again, I heard this word. It's a word I'd never heard before, but it's probably a word that Jenny uses every day at breakfast time. I'm sure it is. But it's not enough to be contemporary, which is up to date. We also need to be prescient. Ooh. It's a big word for me. Three syllables, prescient, that's a lot. But it, but it means not just being aware of what we should do now, but looking and being aware of what's going to happen in the future. Prophetic. Prophetic. To be prescient uh, is perceiving the significant of ev- significance of events before they occur. Being discerning. I don't know if you've ever watched snooker. I've, who's ever played snooker? I, yeah. Now, it's difficult enough getting a red in. <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, with a cue, you can just pick it up and put it in. I know that, but that's not playing snooker. Um, but the proper snooker players, they're not thinking about that red. They're thinking about lining it up on that black so that the black goes in and gets lined up on a red, so that the red goes in and lines up on the black. And then, and then, and then they're thinking about three shots ahead. They're prescient. They're not contemporary. They're looking ahead to what's going on. And, you know, we need to be people of vision who don't look at just what we've got now, but we look to what is happening now with, with, with an eye to what's going to happen as a result of what we do now. We've got to pocket some reds and blacks and blues and yellows and browns and greens. And the pinks as well, yes. Every... Anybody, have I missed any? God. Do you know, when Jesus died on the cross, it says this, it says about him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You see, he had enough to cope with, humanly, being abused and assassinated and executed but, but he endured that because he had a vision of you lot and what his death was going to do in saving our world Joshua and Caleb when they went into the promised land to spy out that generation earlier they saw the giants, but I tell you something, they saw much more. They, they were prescient. They were prophetic. They looked ahead. They saw the wonderful inheritance that God had got for them. So Joshua went into the promised land. And just a few little things here. First of all, he heard God. He heard God. God said to Moses, so to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. That's a good start. You need to know that God's with you. You need to hear what he's going to say. And, and, and God told him what to do. Send the priests in. Do this, do that. The thing that I read to you earlier on. But it really is important to hear what God says. It's important to hear what God says about you. You know, when I was at Sunday school, I had to learn a text every week. And uh, I remember learning Joshua 1.9. And it's it's in, the, it's in the AV, so I, I only know it like this with the AV. But be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whether, whether soever thou goest. In other words, and before that, it says, be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't be phased. Because 
the Lord is with you wherever you go. Joshua needed to know that. He heard God about himself. He heard the call of God upon his life. He knew that God had a purpose for him and for his uh, future. Ian last week spoke about how God speaks to him. God speaks to us in all sorts of ways. God speaks to us when we read the Bible. You know, the Bible is God-breathed. It's inspired. And it's three things. It's historical. It's also, because God speaks to us, contemporary, but it's also prophetic. God speaks to us through spiritual gifts, through situations. And as we walk with him in a relationship with Jesus, we can be led and guided by the Holy Spirit wherever we are, whatever we do, wherever we are, whatever's happening. We need to hear God in a situation. I, you hear stories about, go and talk to that person. Was it, um, it was Tom, wasn't it? Saw this person sitting on a bench in a bus station. And God said to him, go and, was it a man or a woman he went? It was a lady. And he went out to this lady and I think he prayed for her. And she screamed and said, call the police. No, she didn't do that. She was receiving that really well. And he did something in obedience to what God said. He heard. And there are situations where we need to do that or be willing to do, ask him. That might be really foreign to you, scary. Well, ask God to help you. Let's hear what he says. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Our consciences. If you've got a bad conscience about something, you probably don't need to get a verse of the Bible to not do it. <laughs> you just don't do it. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's what you do. And that sense of knowing God's voice will grow as we walk with God and we build up our relationship. The second thing they did, they followed God's presence. They were confident of the way to go. It says in verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the, and the priest carrying it, and they, go, they move out, it said, move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. No, they'd not been this way before because they hadn't seen a lot of the stuff that had gone in in the past and now there was this new day. They were going into God's promise through a river. Why do you go through a river? Because it's there. That's <laughs> why you climb mountains. Because God said. They could have actually... There's a place called um, something or other, Jabesh Barnea, I think it is, or Kiriath Mazuku Buki, or something like that. But there is a place in the south where they camped and sent spies in, and they could have gone in that way. But God led them to the river, <laughs> through the river in flood, and then eventually Kiriath Jirim, it might be. Anyway, look it up. And they took that land over. They took that place over, but they didn't go in the easy way. They went in the hard way because that's the way God led them. Yeah. Why? Because God said so. But they got, they got their inheritance. They knew which way to go because they'd never been that way. And do you know, sometimes we go our own way. We go when we think. We go where we want. And it's not the way. It's where God leads us. It was a new way. It was a living way. And Jesus provides for us a new and living way in a relationship with God the Father through faith in him. And this bit I like. They took a stand. They took a stand. The, tell the priests to carry the ark, to carry the ark 
into the river. And when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river, right? Commit yourself. (laughs) This was getting serious now. I know what to do, but now I've got to do it. They had to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, which was the most precious thing in the nation. It contained the law, the Ten Commandments. It was representative of the Holy Spirit's presence, God's presence in their camp. It was the most precious thing they had. And they had to take it into a swollen river. You imagine if God told Theresa May that they should carry the crown jewels into the Thames. This was more precious than the crown jewels, if you like. What it signified was every generation has to make a stand. They had to stand in the flooded river. Every generation has to make its mark in the way that God directs them. And the thing is this, the way they crossed isn't the way Moses did it. I'd like my River Jordan, please. But before the River Jordan, could I have a Red Sea? What I'd like you all to do just you people here. Could you just stand up, please? Come on. I'm not going to hurt you. You'll stand up. Yeah, just only as far as here. That's fine. All right? Now, remember where you've sat. Now, can you sort of move into the corner, into the middle here? Now, Moses had the Red Sea. So what did Moses do? He put out his rod. The Egyptians were behind him. The sea was in front. And so he put out his rod, as God said. And what happened to the sea? Whoa! And then he went through. Hallelujah. Thank you. (laughs) But this was Joshua. This was a new generation. He didn't have the sea. He had a river that was at flood. Could you please? Or a toilet roll. All we need is an Andrex puppy right now. <laughs> oh! <laughs> He's chilling. Okay. Do you know... Do you know what? The priests had to make a stand and... You don't have to make waves right now because it's. <laughs> and as I said, every generation has to make its own stand. But let's not be people who criticize everything. Uh, I think it's good to make a stand for good things, if possible, rather than against things. Does that make sense? We could all be against things. But let's be for things. Yeah. You could be a, against the government's policy on poor people. Well, no. Protest by doing something about it. Yeah, I'm saying that's why we're here. That's why we're salt and light. So let's not protest about everything. Let's pick our battles. But let's make a stand. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds.
You see, this was a bad time. Look at that river. It's in a flood. Oh, my goodness. And we've got the Ark of the Covenant. We've got to go in it. But it says this. As soon as the priests who carried the Ark of the reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, right? Now, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Hang on. It piled up and then they crossed. Now, do you remember the sea just now? It was instant, wasn't it? Instant sea. In the name of the Lord. Oh, I felt so powerful. But here I am at the edge of the Jordan and the priests put their feet in the river. But it's still here. It's still here. It's still flowing. It didn't work, did it? It didn't work. Look, it's still here. Uh, What's this fellow... Joshua think he's doing shouldn't it open up shouldn't it open up like it did with Moses hey oh it's still it's still flowing oh hang on look there's a bit of dry ground there oh come on boys let's go see Moses didn't do it like that But Joshua and his generation wasn't the Moses generation. God told him to do it like that. And that was 20 miles of river. We haven't got 20 miles of toilet roll, we haven't got all day, and the cleaning budget would never forgive me. However, it piled up in a great heap, and they stood there, and they didn't give up. 20 miles away, it stopped flowing. 20 miles down, it hadn't. Oh, it's not going to work. Let's give up then. Folks, one of the things that messes up the work of God so often is people giving up because they don't see instant results. Can I tell you, the kingdom of God is not a pot noodle. It's not an instant meal when you pour boiling water into it. It is something that builds, that grows, that needs perseverance. In Galatians, it says, don't become weary with doing what's good because you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Come on, say it with me. Don't, don't give up. Don't give up. Because if they had turned away... You're a failure. You're a failure, Joshua. You said, and it's not. If I'd have turned away and gone back down the wilderness again, there'd have been a dry river wasted. But they persevered. They took their stand and they didn't give up. Do you know, taking a stand is so important. Because if we don't take a stand in something, you know, sometimes if you tolerate something... That becomes the norm. Um, it becomes the acceptable practice. It's acceptable to keep walking around the, the desert because we've been doing it for 40 years. Another messed up generation. No, no, they took a stand. And there are sometimes times when we need to make a stand about something because we need to change the culture of something. And the culture changed from a, le- a nation that had manna coming from heaven wandering around the desert into a nation that entered into a battleground that won the promise of God. Because when they entered in there, they stopped getting manna, their shoes started wearing out, and the ladies could go shopping. Yes. There was a flood. There was pressure. Can I say, if you're under pressure, it could be peer pressure. 
It could be circumstantial pressure. It could be financial pressure. Whatever the pressure is, hear what God is saying to you. Take a stand. The answer's coming. The answer's coming. You may not, you know, there's a, think of the risk of getting swept away with the Ark of the Covenant. And you can imagine it. They step into the river. And the nightmare scenario is them being swept away and them shouting, I knew this was a bad idea. You failed, Joshua, you failed. And all the critics would have been there to, be, to fail. As a, we've got an Egyptian mummy in here right now. <laughs> but the river stopped and they, they went through. And they saw the answer. A supernatural entry to a new season and challenges. There were no manner, but there were enemies. That's why they had to know that God was leading them in that way. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood on the dry ground while all Israel passed through until the whole nation completed the crossing. I like the way that they stood, they took a stand, and it let the others through. Do you know, the stand that we take in our own lives can sometimes be a way through for the people that we're praying for and caring for. And if we don't take the stand, the way isn't open for them. Why? Because we're the people who hear God's voice and when we do that, on behalf of our families, our situations, our loved ones, sick people, we can open up a way, or the Holy Spirit can, through our obedience. The greatest miracles can start sometimes with the smallest steps. And I like what they did. They crossed to something from something, not from something. They crossed into their inheritance. When they went into the Red Sea, they crossed from slavery. But here they were crossing into their inheritance. It wasn't under pressure either. They didn't have an army behind them, pressuring them. They heard God and they did the next step. And it was a priceless experience that proved to these people the power of God that would have set them up to be able to conquer and face the challenges ahead. Their God was not and did not have a short arm. Amen. This is how, verse 10, you'll know that the living God is among you. My word, the river dried up. So to finish, it was not your children who saw what he did. We're people of different experiences, of different generations. And as I said earlier, let's make these the good old days. Let's see God work in this day to prepare for the next day. You know, there's no judgment in this at all, really. But we've got, those of us with children, offspring, let's leave them a spiritual legacy because that is the most important thing we can ever leave. It's good to provide. It's good to leave money in your will, if you can. It's good to make sure they're educated. But do you know what? The experiences that in your life you've had in following Jesus, you need to help them to be led into those experiences as well. And then they... Well, you know, yeah. The church is not Lonesome George. Who knows who Lonesome George is or what? George, Lonesome George was a giant tortoise on the Galapagos Islands, I think. 
and he was the last one. He was looking for a woman, no doubt called Michelle. But there was no woman, there was no female tortoise, and so when George died, that was the end. No, this isn't Lonesome George, this is the kingdom of God, so that we leave a legacy. And I know, I know, I know there are people here and you're concerned for your children or you're rejoicing about your children. Do you know what? We've all done good things and bad things with our kids. We've all got it right. We've all got it wrong. But take a stand in the name of Jesus and whoever they are and whatever they're doing, do you know, I believe God can open a way for them even now to come through into God's purposes for them could be your husband, it could be your wife, it could be your partner, your boyfriend, your girl, I don't care what it is, but make a stand. And You know, there's a, a, a church in America with about, oh, I don't know, about a million people, not really, thousands and thousands of people in it. And their mantra is this, win the kids, win the community. I am thrilled to bits that we've got this holiday club coming up. I'm thrilled to bits we've got impact. Because I tell you something, there's a lot of churches that say we don't agree with women in leadership. But what they actually do is they put the women in charge of the kids. <laughs> Am I missing something? <laughs> They're putting women, women, in charge of the most important, in a sense, seeds of our future. The kids who haven't seen what we've seen, that don't experience what we experience, but we want to lead them on to ex- so they do experience for themselves and become men and women of God. Kids aren't the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. But they might be the leaders of tomorrow, they, might be, they will be the people who invest into their futures tomorrow. You see, we are a people of this generation to prepare people for the next. We are here standing on the shoulders of giants. Let's make our shoulders available to those who come after us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just ask you to help us not to be stressed out by the need to hear your voice, but to just talk to you, seek to be obedient to you, and be aware that you're with us. And that you have a purpose for us as individuals. You have purpose for us as a church. We pray for our children, some who are in there, the young people who will be meeting here tonight, and for those that aren't even part of us yet. And you know, it's not just about children, it's about people in our community who do not know one end of the Bible from from the other, who don't know anything about Jesus, or anything about God, or what prayer is, or anything. They've not seen the wonders that we've seen, but we pray that you'll help us to help those people to come to find you, know you, move into a relationship and walk with you. Because you're great, and you want to save this generation in Jesus' name. Just as we close, for a moment, is there something or someone you want to make a stand for? Well, then you, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but just bring that situation or those people right before God now and be confident 
that if you stand and you persevere, God is going to make a way through, even though the waters don't look any different right now. We commit that to you, Lord.